Take me riding in the car, car, take me riding in the car, car. Take you riding in my car, car, I'll take you riding in my car. This is Our American Stories, and there's perhaps nothing more American than a good old-fashioned road trip. You don't always have to go very far to discover a new part of our beautiful country. For the hour, we're riding shotgun with producer extraordinaire Jesse Edwards on a road trip just down the road from where we broadcast this show in Oxford, Mississippi. We're on the road to Clarksdale, Mississippi to meet up with legendary local blues man who goes by the name of Deke Harp. That's him we're actually listening to right now with his song called Clarksdale Breakdown. He's an original one-man band playing the harp, the kick drum, the guitars, and even vocals all at the same time. He's also world famous for his custom handmade harmonicas. Basically, anybody who knows a thing or two about harps knows exactly who Deke Harp is. We'll hear from him in just a few minutes when we meet up at this storefront museum workshop called Deke's Mississippi Saxophone and Blues Emporium. But first, a little bit about Clarksdale and the surrounding area in general. When I first told my wife a couple of years back that we should pack up and move from Oregon to Oxford, Mississippi to help start the radio program that you're listening to right now on Our American Network, she threw a plate at my head. We're not moving to Mississippi! Not really, but I did kind of understand her hesitation. You see, we both had this preconceived image of Mississippi as a run-down, backwoods kind of place where you can't buy a beer on Sunday and you're shunned by your neighbors for not attending church. We were both pretty relieved to find out that was not the case once we actually moved here sight unseen. But here in Oxford, the schools are clean and well-funded, the neighborhoods are safe and quiet, and most businesses are actually hooked up to the internet to accept your credit cards. Though it doesn't hurt to keep some cash on you, just like anywhere else, Oxford is nothing like I expected of the South. Uh, This wasn't exactly the hard-living, cotton-picking lifestyle land of Robert Johnson, B.B. King, and Muddy Waters that I thought we would be experiencing in the Deep South. But just 90 minutes southwest of Oxford, is the town of Clarksdale, Mississippi. When you come down out of the forested hills of Oxford, down into the flat delta region through endless cotton farms entering this gritty, sun-bleached, and legendary crossroads of a town, you instantly get the feeling that you've stepped back in time to the old Mississippi that you might expect to see in a movie with shoeless children playing in the streets, dilapidated buildings with people still living in them, and and a crumbling infrastructure that somehow resembles the relics of a long-lost forgotten people. Yes, there is a nice side of town, and there are housing developments popping up here and there, but for the most part, this old-school, shady part of town is simply just the best. The barbecue is also out of this world. You know it's okay to smile, even on a rainy day. It's okay to smile, the sun gonna come your way. Located in the Delta region, Clarksdale has been home to many blues musicians. The most famous, perhaps, is Robert Johnson, who came to Clarksdale to the crossroads. crossroads. Now the intersection of highways 322 and 49. While I don't personally believe this is the actual place where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil to gain extraordinary musical skills, you can hear my entire hour on the quest for the real crossroads at OurAmericanNetwork.org. I'm not above a shameless plug. 
right, enough about the history of Clarksdale. We're here to meet up with Dee Carp of Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium in downtown Clarksdale. Now, downtown is a ghost town with a slow but steady pulse that's being kept alive by small businesses, a few of which are obviously run by aging hipsters who sell trinkets and tchotchkes to tourists that come here from all over the globe. On our visit, there was a busload of tourists from Austria roaming the streets of Clarksdale like a herd of turtles, mouths agape, staring in wonder at the sun-baked empty buildings that line the main streets. Like Jews in the Holy Land, Muslims to Mecca, or your dad's pilgrimage across Route 66 ending in Santa Monica, California, they were here for the show to bear witness to the living history that time forgot. This is the old stomping grounds of Willie Brown, Sam Cooke, John Lee Hooker, Sunhouse, Junior Parker, Ike Turner, W.C. Handy, Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, and Tennessee Williams. This is hollowed ground to blues musicians, writers, or anybody that's interested in American music history. As I get out of my truck and walk up to Deke's Blues Emporium, I hear music playing. The sun is shining. It's 72 degrees. The birds are chirping, and I'm getting paid to talk to this guy about his love for harmonicas and whatever else comes up naturally in conversation. Sometimes I swear I made the right career choice. As I open the door and introduce myself, we head right back outside so Deke can take a well-earned smoke break. You ready to have a smoke? (laughs) Yeah, why not? One interview to the next. (laughs) It seems I'm not the only radio producer who thought of coming to talk with Deke this week. Apparently, three other producers had come into the shop. One all the way from BBC in the UK, just to get Deke's story. That's a good sign to me that we're in the right place. I'll put all these parts in the line. After he finished his smoke, we went right back inside his harmonica shop slash museum, where Deke sat at his workbench. And then I'll know where they go. To show me the harmonica he was currently working on. Uh, let's see. This is the harp I'm working on right now. Uh-huh. That's a D. And that's the same harmonica that um, Ozzy used for the wizard. So I get a lot of calls. I want you to build me a harmonica, the same one that you played on TV. So this is one of them. The Wizard is a song by Ozzy Osbourne's British heavy metal band Black Sabbath, taken from their 1970 album Black Sabbath. In fact, Ozzy Osbourne and his son Jack were here at the store recently to visit Deke and to buy some of his harmonicas for their show on the History Channel called Ozzy and Jack's World Detour. When we come back, the History Channel and Ozzy Osbourne visit Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium. We'll also hear Deke's personal life story, who his mentors were, and who he would eventually go on to mentor himself. We'll also take a quick trip from Clarksdale across the Mississippi River into Helena, Arkansas, to a radio station that's been broadcasting the same show, King Biscuit Time, since 1951. More on the life of Deke Harp right here on Our American Stories when we come back.
This is Our American Stories, and we're going to be rejoining Jesse in his road trip right here from our little hamlet in Oxford, Mississippi. We're about an hour south of Memphis and Clarksdale, Mississippi, and the Mississippi Delta, about 90 miles southwest. By the way, you don't have to go long to go on a great road trip, but my first road trip to the Mississippi Delta, I did it with a buddy. We left New Jersey. We came down here to go to the Clarksdale Blues Museum because we'd heard people like Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton had gone there a whole lot. And that was back when everything was on a tape. Remember that? And if you didn't get in front of that tape, you weren't going to hear it. There was no YouTube. There was no nothing. And we spent three days in Clarksdale. And just go figure, this New Jersey boy now calls Oxford, Mississippi, and the Delta region his home. And our home here on Our American Stories. Let's return to Jesse and his road trip. We're here in Clarksdale, Mississippi at Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium where the owner, Deke Harp, is crafting one of his custom harmonicas for a client of his on the West Coast. He's a blues man who sells his music and world-famous harmonicas out of his shop in Clarksdale, Mississippi and online at deekharp.com. He was just telling us how a lot of his clients ask for the same harp that Ozzy played in Black Sabbath's The Wizard that we're listening to now. Ozzy Osbourne actually came into the shop recently to buy two of Deke's harps during his show on the History Channel called Ozzy and Jack's World Detour. Here's a clip from that episode where Deke Harp gets to perform for the one and only Ozzy Osbourne here in his little shop in Clarksdale, Mississippi. I've got a little surprise for you. I came across this guy by the name of Deke, and Deke is a local musician who uh, also makes his own harmonicas and, and is like, kind of knows a lot about the music scene here. I thought we'd stop by this guy's store real quick. So Deke did his thing for Ozzy and Jack, this one-man band, kick drum, guitar, harmonica, vocal ensemble that's really remarkable to watch. Who would think that this seemingly dead ghost town would bring Ozzy Osbourne, the Prince of Darkness himself, to visit Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And he's only one of hundreds of major rock stars that grace the steps at Deke's. Ozzy, man of few words, was thoroughly impressed. Although it may be hard to tell. Right. Because that's what an impressed Ozzy Osbourne sounds like. Right. We rejoined Deke Harp at his workshop, where he's been sanding down the edges of some rivets inside of a harp that he's restoring. Now that I got these, this reed fixed, um, this is a restored harmonica. I uh, I put screws in to hold them, but there's a little dimple on the back side. So I'll, I'll sand that flush so that when it when I put it to when I put the sandwich together, it's an airtight seal. And I take all those rivet bumps down. Uh huh. Once they're smooth, and I know it's truly flat because this is a piece of granite that's been you know it's one of the truest, flattest surfaces you can get without a micrometer. <laughs> huh. How long have you been working on harps like this, building your own? Uh, for the last 20 years, I guess. Yeah. When they started getting really expensive, mm-hmm. is when I couldn't afford them. Um, I was playing in a band making, you know, maybe 40, 50 bucks a night. And... I'd break two $25 harmonicas. Now I broke even. You know, I didn't make no money that day. 
so uh, I kind of just took one apart, you know, and and from there, uh, it you know, it became apparent that there was just a, one area that I used to break these reeds at a lot. It would be in the four and five draw region. Uh, this is the four and five right there, and those are the ones that break all the time. Um, there's a lot of players that, especially a poker player, because you don't know exactly where you are in a harmonica. When I when I play tongue blocking, I lay my tongue down in a perfect spot. It's just like being in the home keys of a typewriter. You know where you are right there. Your G's right here. Your H is right here. Your T's over here. That's where I know. Once I lay my tongue down in the in the, the in the right spot where. I can get that one chord. I know if I put my tongue straight down, I'm going to be on the four blow. So I've moved the harmonica up one hole. I know I'm in the five. And those are the ones that you don't. That one is a passing note. It's not a bendable note. So um, if you're not familiar with your ear to know where you are on the harmonica, um, you're going to break that note because it's, it's just a passing note. It just bends a little bit. Now the four will bend. It won't bend. So a lot of guys think that they're going to bend it over there. and That's what happens. And it just breaks. As our friend Deke continues refurbishing this harmonica, he opens up about his first encounter as a child with the instrument that he loves the most. Each one has a little, see? I see that little dimple there? Yeah. Well, it bugs me. <laughs> He also talks about eventually moving to Chicago and experiencing homelessness. I learned how to play harmonica um, by records, but the first time I ever heard it was in the boys' room when I was 12. I was in seventh grade, middle school, and this cat had a harmonica, and he was playing it, and you can hear the reverb just, just railing through the tiles. And I, next day I bought a harmonica and came up to him, and I was like, hey, could you show me something? I, I just got a harmonica. He goes, man, I ain't showing you nothing, man. And I was like, you know, someday I'm going to be better than you. And uh, I knew, I didn't know then that I was going to be better than him. And I might not be, you know. But because um, I, never, I never really ran into him again since, since that, you know, we were in school together. Where was that It at? was in Avenel, New Jersey. Abinell, New Jersey? Yep. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in Jersey City. And then uh, I moved to Chicago. Um, I lived out there for four or five months. Uh, I even was homeless for four months, uh, living in my truck in Chicago. I wrote about it in one of the songs when I was drinking Mad Dog 2020. It's the cheapest wine you can get. Now I think it's about $4 a bottle, but back in the day when I drank it, it was only $2 a bottle. So I went to the corner with two bucks in my hand. Deke Harp eventually got his life back together. Here, he talks about his sobriety and what he says it takes to be a real blues man. I bought myself a bottle of that mad man. It's a life experience, you know. Really, uh, some people make it out of it, out of it alive, and that's what I did, you know. How did you do that? Well, I had to give up drinking, 
<laughs> I haven't had a drink since 01. And I haven't messed with anything else since uh, 98. Uh, so it, it helps my career a lot better, too, because, you know, I'm not going to get drunk on stage like some of these blues guys. <laughs> it was good for me to do that. But, you know, um, you know, they always say, you know, you got to you got to live the blues to feel the blues. You know, there's a lot of. There's a lot of copycats out there that, you know, say they're bluesmen, but they ain't never had a blues day in their life. I call them silver spoon blues players. Daddy bought me the guitar, daddy bought my amp, daddy bought this, and uh, that don't get you to be a blues man. We're here in Clarksdale, Mississippi at Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium where the owner, Deke Harp, is crafting one of his custom harmonicas. He's a blues man who sells his music and world-famous harmonicas out of his shop in Clarksdale, Mississippi and online at deekharp.com. When we come back, we'll hear about Deke's friend, mentor, and legendary blues harp player, James Cotton, who played alongside Muddy Waters for years. We'll also take a journey from Clarksdale across the Mississippi River up to Helena, Arkansas to a little radio station that's been broadcasting a radio show called King Biscuit Time since 1951. Clarksdale, Deke's Mississippi Saxophone and Blues Emporium, James Cotton, The Power of Mentorship, and The Delta Blues. This is Our American Stories. American stories and we continue our trek across Mississippi into the heart of Delta Blues country with Jesse our intrepid executive producer and Jesse loves doing these music segments and we love hearing them and my trek led me down to Clarksdale and we get into this museum and there are just a bunch of little tapes and there are some headphones and in we go and we have no idea what we're listening to but the WPA had come down here and recorded all the great bluesmen and that was it. If you wanted to hear it, this is back before you could even hear Robert Johnson on a record. I mean, you just had to go down here and hear those tapes. And it was spectacular. And what was really interesting was just the number of people from around the country and the world who would descend upon this little tiny town. By the way, one of the best features of this town are some of the little juke joints and bars that you can go into on any given night and just hear some great blues playing and singing. And, of course, Morgan Freeman for a long time 
had a club called Ground Zero. I'm not sure he owns it anymore, but he had owned it for quite a long time. Morgan doesn't live far from uh, the particular town we mentioned here, which is Clarksdale. Jesse, of course, wandered around over the old bridge into Arkansas as he poked around the Delta. And now we return to Jesse and his road trip. We're in Clarksdale, Mississippi at Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium where the owner, Deke Harp, is crafting one of his custom harmonicas. He's a blues musician himself who frequently tours around the states and across the globe. He sells his music and world-famous harmonicas out of his shop in Clarksdale, Mississippi and online at deekharp.com. Now when I asked Deke about what brought him to Clarksdale in the first place, he mentions a guy named James Cotton. Now James was another legendary blues musician and harmonica player. The same harp player that taught our friend Deke here how to play harmonica in the first place. But here again is Deke Harp talking about how he first came to Clarksdale. First time I was in Clarksdale, I was with James Cotton, who I followed around for three or four years before he asked me to, you know, join the band and I'd be one of his drivers. So I was the road manager for from uh, I guess around '92 to '98, and. So uh, the first time I came to Clarksdale, we were actually had a day off, and we went we went fishing that day. And then he asked me, he said, "Dick, you want to take a ride down to Clarksdale?" So I did, and once I saw Clarksdale, I, you know, I immediately knew that this was the you know ground zero of the blues. Um. So I started going and visiting the the King Biscuit Blues Festival, which was in Helena. And uh, every time I went there, I always came to Clarksdale, too, because they had parties. And night parties in, in Clarksdale, and then, and then during the day, the festival would run. So uh, I, I just started booking shows here and coming down from Illinois, which was down by Champaign, Illinois, like mid-central mid, uh, Illinois. And uh, I started booking shows, and then uh, I was you know, getting booked for the, the Juke Joint Festival every year. And the people that came here, you know, that once a year to the Juke Joint Festival, they all thought I lived here already. <laughs> so, uh, trying to run a farm, one person, is just a lot of work. A lot of mowing, a lot of, you know, just... I had I was raising chickens and, and, and ducks and geese, and um, I had some goats and... I had a couple horses. I had uh, I raised one steer. Uh, it's a lot of work, one guy. So I said to the wife, "Hey, wh- what do you think we? Uh, somebody just told me that I could rent out a store for pretty good, you know, a fair price. How about we sell the farm and we open up a harmonica store in Clarksdale?" My wife says, "Yeah, let's do it." So that's what we did. We got here to Clarksdale after we paid for the U-Haul and everything else because we wound up not selling our property yet. Uh, We didn't sell the farm. We came down with what we had in our pocket. I got here uh, uh, with $46 and opened up a harmonica store. And uh, the rest is history. I mean, I've had more movie stars, blues stars, film actors radio shows, you know, you name it. In the last week, I did three interviews, and you're in a third. Uh, 
yeah, uh, I think Clarksdale's got a lot of growing, but uh, we're ready for anybody that wants to come down and have a really good time in the South. For those of you just joining us, that was Deke Harp, local blues musician and famous harmonica doctor in Clarksdale, Mississippi. We were just listening to him explain who it was that first brought him to Clarksdale, Mississippi, another blues musician by the name of James Cotton. Now, Deke didn't mention this while we were recording, but James Cotton had passed away just a couple of weeks before this recording. James Cotton wasn't just a guy who taught Deke how to play the harmonica. He was Deke's mentor, friend, and father figure at one point in his life. Deke was understandably devastated by the loss of his friend. But who was James Cotton? I heard his name and saw his picture in the news when he passed away a couple weeks back. I remember thinking that I should find out who he was in case it might be a good story for this show. Then I forgot about it, until his name came up again when I was reaching out to Deke Harp. It's as if the story of James Cotton wouldn't leave me alone. So I asked Deke what he could tell us about his friend and mentor, James Cotton. What can you tell us about James Cotton? Well, he was my teacher. Um, Put me under his wing a long time ago, uh... He learned from Sonny Boy when he was nine years old. He moved to Sonny Boy's house in uh, Helena, and Sonny Boy raised him until he was eighteen. Uh, so I am uh, second generation from Sonny Boy learning through Cotton. But James Cotton worked with Muddy Waters from '56 to '68. He recorded some of the best stuff with Muddy. Now, uh, he, he took little Walter's place after Junior Wells. Now, Junior Wells was with him for a little while, but he didn't show up for a gig one time, so Muddy went and found James and said, you want to play with me? And uh, they stayed together for 12 years. And here's James Cotton on harmonica in a song called Did That Train to Mississippi? <laughs> So Sonny Boy took in young James Cotton and trained him up on the harp. James Cotton then took our friend Deke Harp here under his wing. Later on in this hour, we'll introduce you to the young man that Deke would go on to mentor as well. This is four generations of musicianship and mentorship in the making. Born on the first day of July in 1935 in Tunica, Mississippi, James Cotton was the youngest of eight brothers and sisters who grew up in the cotton fields working beside their mother, Hattie, and their father, Mose. On Sundays, Mose was the preacher in the area's Baptist church. Cotton's earliest memories included his mother playing chicken and train sounds on her harmonica. For a few years, he thought those were the only two sounds the little instrument would make. His Christmas present one year was a harmonica, and it wasn't long before he mastered the sounds of the chicken and the train. And that's D. Carp on the harmonica right now, making the train whistle from his album Clarksdale Breakdown. You can buy on Amazon, iTunes, or at dcarp.com. When we come back, the rest of the story on James Cotton, Deke Harp, the King Biscuit Time Radio Show, and the Delta Blues. We're here in Clarksdale, Mississippi, at Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium. More after these messages. This is Our American Stories. 
This is Our American Stories, and now the final leg of our journey through the Mississippi Delta. Here's Jesse. Clarksdale. We're here in Clarksdale, Mississippi at Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium where the owner, Deke Harp, is crafting one of his custom harmonicas. He's a blues man who sells his music and world-famous harmonicas out of his shop in Clarksdale, Mississippi and online at DeekHarp.com. If you're ever in Clarksdale. That's him we're listening to right now with his song called If You're Ever in Clarksdale. Go see my buddy Red. Deke Harp was just telling us about the man who trained him on how to play the harp properly, a famous blues harp player named James Cotton who just passed away weeks before this recording. James Cotton was Deke Harp's mentor and friend, but James Cotton also had a mentor of his own back in the day, Sonny Boy Williamson. Pass the biscuits because it's King Biscuit Time on KFFA Radio. Now, King Biscuit Time, a 15-minute radio show, began broadcasting live on KFFA, a radio station just across the Mississippi River in Helena, Arkansas. The star of the show then was harmonica legend Sonny Boy Williamson. Young James Cotton pressed his little ear to the old radio speaker. The harp did a lot more than he had learned from his mother. Realizing this, a profound change came over young James Cotton, and since that moment, he and his harp were inseparable. Soon, he was able to play Sonny Boy's theme song from the radio show, and as he grew, so did his repertoire of Sonny Boy's other songs. Now, Mississippi summers are ghastly. The heat is unrelenting. He was too young to actually work in the cotton fields, so little James Cotton would bring water to those who did. When it was time for him to take a break from his job, he would just sit in the shadow of the plantation foreman's horse and play his harp. His music became a source of joy for his first audience. James Cotton's star began to shine brightly at a very early age. And that's who trained our friend Deke Harp how to play the harmonica. Before we get back to Deke and his workshop, one part of the story that we have to check out is that radio program I just mentioned called King Biscuit Time. Now, it's the longest-running daily American radio broadcast in history. That's why we got to talk about it. Not only do I love old radio stations, but this one has the longest-running broadcast of all time running out of it still continuously to this day. The 30-minute-long live radio program is broadcast at 12.15 p.m. every weekday and was named after the local brand of flour, King Biscuit Flour, distributed by Interstate Grocer Company. Yeah. The distributor financed the show in exchange for endorsements and naming rights. KFFA was the only radio station that would play music by African Americans at the time, and it reached an audience throughout the Mississippi Delta region. It inspired musicians like B.B. King and Robert Nighthook, James Cotton, and Ike Turner. The show's 12.15 p.m. time slot was specifically chosen to match the lunch breaks of African American workers in the Delta. And they still do the show every day of the week from this little town just north and across the Mississippi River called Helena, Arkansas. King Biscuit Time celebrated its 17,000th broadcast back in 2014 with more broadcasts in the Grand Ole Opry or American Bandstand. Now get this, 
The program's been hosted by the award-winning Sunshine Sunny Payne, who has hosted the show since 1951 and continues to this day. That's the year that I Love Lucy premiered and Alice in Wonderland was still in movie theaters. And this guy's been hosting the same radio show every day ever since. That's dedication. Here's the man himself, the guy that's been behind this microphone longer than most people in our listening audience have been alive, talking about an embarrassing moment at one of his broadcasts where an interesting stranger walked in off the street who wanted to check out the studio. Well, I have one, one gentleman, he came in here one day with his little boy, and I didn't ask his name, and I said, look around the museum, and our show starts at 12.15. Never did ask his name. He came and sat down in a minute, and, and I said, come on back here with me. It was on a Monday, and nobody's there on Monday. They're closed, but we still do the show there. And I, I was really embarrassed. I interviewed him maybe 10 minutes, and I said, uh, I never did ask your name. The show was almost over. I did interview him. I said, where are you from? He said, the UK, United Kingdom. I said, what do you do over there? Well, I play a little golf and do a little singing. And the little boy spoke up and said, Daddy plays too. We have a telephone in the control room there. And I said, well, that'll do it for today. I didn't catch your name. What was it? And he said, Robert Plant. Here's where the embarrassment came in. I said, who the hell is Robert Plant? And that's the story, in short, of King Biscuit Radio, the longest-running radio program of all time. This was the station that gave James Cotton a chance to play his harp and have it be heard on the radio. James Cotton would then go on to teach our friend Deke Harp how to play, too. We now rejoin Deke from his harmonica workshop back across the Mississippi River in Clarksdale, where he's just finishing up tuning that harp we heard him working on earlier. Now listen to this chord. Horrible chord. Alright, now listen. Oh, it needs a little bit more. So your ear is the, the final say in this. I don't want to let a harmonica go unless it's right. People are paying for quality, and that's what I give them. And then I stand behind it for a year. Even if you abuse it and pull on it too hard and, and play it really hard, I'm still going to acknowledge that and fix it at least one time. Once that's done, if you break it again, then I charge you $20 for reed replacement, $20 for harmonica abuse, and $10 for shipping. <laughs> and that usually deters them from breaking them right then and there, because it's a $50 bill to get your beautiful harmonica fixed. Unless you bring it to somebody else, which I don't recommend, because then you blow your your warranty because if I see that somebody else went in there and did something right. I'll know it <laughs> you can tell there's the cord 
That sounds good. ready. <laughs> yeah, she's a good one. And that's our look into the life of Deke Harp in Clarksdale, Mississippi. You can buy his music that we've featured in this hour or one of his world-famous handcrafted harmonicas at deekharp.com. In our brief conversation with Deke, we learned how a broadcaster named Sonny Boy took in bluesmaster James Cotton when he was just nine years old. Cotton would then take Deke Harp under his wing, showing the ways of the Delta Blues. Then we found out that Deke himself had taken in a young and upcoming harmonica player, introducing him to the real world of the Delta Blues. Now I have a stepson that I've been teaching. I call him my stepson. He's not really blood-related or anything, but I adopted him into blues, and he's my third generation. And he sounds great. His name is Carson Deerson. He's out of Indianapolis, and he travels a lot. He was 16 when he started coming, and you know his mom would come with him. One thing she asked me though, well, how much would it cost, you know, for him to stay with you for that month? And I was like, free. And she goes, why? I said, well, Cotton did it for me, so I have to pass it on. And he got to meet James Cotton, and uh, the rest is history. And here's young Carson Deerson playing harmonica on the stage, now the youngest Honer harmonica-endorsed player in the world. All thanks to the guidance and mentorship of Deke Harp, James Cotton, and Sonny Boy Williams. It's all possible just because somebody took the time to be a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, try being one for somebody else. You never know how it just might change the world for someone. From Clarksdale, Mississippi, with Deke Harp and Deke's Mississippi Saxophones and Blues Emporium, this story is to be continued, as I plan to take some lessons from Deke myself in the very near future. Visit Deke Harp in person in Clarksdale or online at deekharp.com. Buy his music and buy one of his world-famous harmonicas, too. This is Our American Stories. This is Our American Stories, and today we're kicking off a brand new series on healthcare called 
What happens when? A series that tells the stories of what happens when we all interact with the healthcare system. And it's led by our chief health editor, Jim Glassman. Here's Jim with the inaugural feature. You're listening to the theme music of the Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, a spaghetti western about finding a gold fortune. But the title could just as easily have been describing healthcare in the 21st century. The good? Patients are living longer and better than ever before. The bad? The system is so complicated that we don't have a clue how all the payments work. The ugly? Well, we'll leave that for later. Let's start off pleasantly. Today's What Happens When episode is What Happens When You're Pregnant. And it comes to us from our field correspondent, Alex Cortez. Take it away, Alex. June 2014. We find out my wife, Kate, is pregnant. Oh, my God. Look at that. Then we find out it's another girl. What? 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 I'm just, I don't know. I don't understand. Um, how this happened? <laughs> to be honest, I'm stoked. I feel like I got the girl thing down. Might as well keep going with it. Just go, Beth. Men don't really like change. In the ensuing months, my wife and I have spirited discussions, fights, about what to name her. Have you started thinking of names yet? Oh, yeah. I've come up with a bunch of ideas. Really? Me too. This happened the last time, too. And both times, it was my fault. Yep. You see, I got this weird thing. With having the Spanish last name Cortez, I feel like you gotta have a Spanish first name to match it. So my wife's ideas like William... It just seems so wrong. You know, she's British, so I understand where she's coming from, but she also decided to marry someone with a Spanish last name. I didn't make her do that. But here we are, and she thinks my name ideas are just as wrong. Okay, fine. What do you have? All right, look. I know it's a little out there, but... (laughs) Magellan. Oh, my God. Our, Our child will be beaten to death in the schoolyard. Yes, Magellan. The Spanish dude who was the first to sail around the world. Pretty sweet, huh? Sweet! Or Mercedes. Why do you hate our child? She thinks it's a car. I told her no, that's Mercedes. You're just saying that because I said no to your name. I'm really, really not. And now you see the basis of our fights. You might be thinking right now, your own first name is Alex, doofus. That's not very Spanish. And I agree, my parents did me a real disservice. Anyways, this has really been one long rant and certainly a detour from our topic today. Our topic, Penelope's birth. That's my daughter's name that we settled on. Yes, I know it's Greek, but Google also says it's Spanish and a beautiful name. And we had a beautiful girl to match it. She arrived on March 22nd, 2015.
Yeah, 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 it was great, yeah. But three months later, the real story begins. There arrives the bill. And yeah, I know it's coming, but boom, there it is. And there is a $710 charge for use of the nursery. And boom, a second one. $710 for the nursery. That's a lot of nursery. It's like a mortgage payment or a rent payment, except that we didn't rent the whole nursery for a whole month. It was like a few hours, and boom, $1,420 total. Frankly, I expected any nursery cost to be a part of the general cost we'd be charged for, for our time in the hospital, because that's how the hospital acted it was like. Now, I don't have any problem with them line-iteming my bill. Really, I like it, so I can see exactly what I'm being charged for. What I don't like is not being told that I'm going to be charged for something that's offered to me. What is this? Think about an example outside of the hospital. You're on an airplane. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. And they offer you a pillow. They don't say up front that there's a cost for it because they don't charge for it. But if they offer me an alcoholic drink, they let me know that price before they even get me that drink. Not after the drink, because then I think there's no charge. So when the hospital offers you, say, a pillow or a few hours taking your daughter into the nursery so you can catch up on sleep, which I thought was very nice of them at the time, and they certainly said it all nonchalantly like it's normal, and they don't mention that there's a charge, I don't think I'm going to be charged for it, except that they did charge me a lot. And worst of all, more than I can even rationally explain, how can a few hours of babysitting cost $1,420? Was Cher babysitting my daughter in the nursery, singing her to sleep? I'd pay hundreds of dollars for that, but I'd also want to be there for it, and I wasn't. So I don't think it was Cher, it was just a nurse. And I don't mean just a nurse. Nurses who've helped my wife with her pregnancies are some of the best souls I've ever met. But I don't think they get paid hundreds of dollars an hour to watch my daughter either. That money's going somewhere else, definitely not in their pockets. I wonder if they know they're getting stabbed. So I set myself on an investigation, a very trying investigation, a very 21st century investigation. It only involved picking up the telephone. And so it begins. October 26th, 2016, investigation opened. Please listen carefully as our menu has changed. After the break, we continue with Alex's investigation into Baptist Memorial Hospital, charging him two $710 charges for the use of the nursery, without them mentioning that there's an additional cost for the use of that nursery, a service that Alex and his wife didn't ask for. Baptist approached them and offered it, and acted like there was just no cost. More after these messages, it's only going to get more interesting, folks. This is Our American Stories. This is Our American Stories, and we're back with the inaugural episode 
of our What Happens When series, a series that tells the stories of what happens when we all interact with the healthcare system and that we'd love and we'd love to hear your stories. Give us a call at 844-627-8255 and record your story there and leave us your information and we can help you record it. My goodness, I know you have stories. I'll do one next week about my wife being turned down again and again by an insurance company or on her Botox. I'm just going to bring her in, frankly, and what's starting to happen to her and what's happening to her headaches. And I know we've talked about it a little on the air. And let's face it, this is the most personal issue there is in America. It is the most important, and we're trying to make it understandable to you, break it down, break it apart. And with Jim's help, uh, we're going to be doing that regularly here on Our American Stories. And today's episode is What Happens When You're Pregnant. And our field correspondent, Alex Cortez, is bringing us his own personal story. When his daughter Penelope was born in 2015 at Baptist Memorial Hospital in the town where we broadcast, Oxford, Mississippi, a nurse offered to take her to the nursery for a while so Alex and his wife Kate could catch up on some sleep. That was the entirety of the conversation. No additional cost was mentioned, and yet months later, they received a bill from Baptist that had two nursery charges on there, $710 each, and Alex, well, he's looking into it now. Why were there additional charges at all when none was mentioned? And why in the world would nursery charges cost $1,420? Alex wanted to discover how many hours this was for and what the hourly rate was and why he had to pay it. Let's now return to his investigation. And so it begins. October 26th, 2016, investigation opened. Please listen carefully as our menu has changed. Thank you for calling Baptist Memorial Hospital, North Mississippi Financial Office. To speak with a financial counselor, please press 1. Here's the first person I'll speak to. Just how may I help you? We're bleeping people's names throughout this investigation to protect their privacy. Hi, I just wanted to call about a past bill and, and ask about a couple of the charges on it. Oh, okay. Do you know what these, uh, it says HC nursery newborn level and, charges are for? And who who are you? Um, I'm her dad. Okay, and she's going to need to call and have you added to the account because they don't have your name on here. And so we can't discuss any uh, anything about her account. You know, she, she's only... Uh, She's only a year old. Oh, Lord, you know what? I thought this said 19 years. I am so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> okay, now you want to know about what now? Um, there's some charges on here for nursery newborn level 1RC. Um, you know, it's $710. Uh, I just wanted to see what, what that was. $710. Okay, I see it. Hold on for a second. Let me get someone who can answer these questions for you. Hold okay. on for a minute. Acid reflux disease affects approximately 30% of the American population, causing daily heartburn symptoms. Okay, sir. Yes. That's the charge for the nursery. She was here for two days. Okay. Um, you know, it says, it says quantity of one. Do you know how many hours that is? 
No, sir. I have no idea how many hours. Okay. We're just thinking about having another kid. I just want to see if there's anything I can improve to lower our costs next time. And um, just... Let me let you talk to Miss. She may be able to help you. Hold on for a second. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The second person I'll speak to. This is how I help you. My name is Alex. I had a child at Baptist and wanted to go over a couple of the items on my bill. Okay, now uh, the one that you would need to speak with about uh, OB and maternity, she's already gone for the day. But if you call back on tomorrow after 8 and just uh, ask for. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll call this woman I'm supposed to ask for the mystery woman, and you're about to see why. It's now day two, October 27th, and I am asking for that mystery woman. Cash office, can I help you? The third person I'll speak to. Hi, I'm looking for... Who? Um, I, I don't know, I was talking to Billing yesterday, and they recommended they call... Well, I don't know what in the Billing department. Will you give me a break one time? Well, the only I know is in admissions. Okay, it's a, um, I guess I'll try her then. Okay. For excellence in meetings. You have been forwarded to a voicemail system. Man, voicemail. Your session cannot be continued at this time. Your call is being transferred. Please wait on the line. The fourth person I'll speak to. Baptist Memorial Hospital, can I help you? Yes, I'm looking for a lady named... Um, what do you know, I was talking to Billing yesterday, and they told me to call back talk about a question I had with um, But I just talked with Billing, and they said that there isn't someone named who works there, so I'm, I'm not sure what department is in. Okay. Refill prescriptions. Person number four didn't know the mystery woman, so she transferred me back to the financial office. I'm starting the process all over again. Thank you for calling Baptist Memorial Hospital. The fifth person I'll speak to. This is How can I help you? I'm looking for I called yesterday and someone recommended that I touch base with her. And then someone else in billing just tried transferring me to her. But um, the, the number uh, didn't work for her. Okay. Do you know her last name? I don't. Okay. The only that I'm familiar with is up here at the front. So hold, let me see if I can find her number. Okay, hold on one okay, moment. thank you. Been found bad. I help you. I finally found the mystery woman, the sixth person I'll speak to. Hi, um, I spoke with Billing yesterday, and I had a question, and they recommended that I speak with you. Okay, I'm actually tied up right this minute. Can I get a name and number and I can try to call you back? Oh, sure. Uh, I finally found this mystery woman and she can't talk to me. Okay, Alex? Yes. Okay, and what's this concerning? Um, a bill um, for my daughter Penelope. Okay, it's just concerning a bill. Yeah, I just had a question about some of the itemized. Okay, on that we wouldn't. You wouldn't need to talk to me about that. You would need to talk to our billing department. Well, they they recommended that I speak with with you when I about one of these questions. Uh, what what's the question? Um, so there were some charges for the nursery. 
Um, okay. You know, so it was like $710 for a quantity of one, and then it repeated okay, on I there, don't. too, and I wanted to see how many hours that was. For yeah, that. I would not be able to help you with that part. I'm sorry. All right! Okay. Uh, let me give you a uh, 800 number you can call. Okay. Is that for a Baptist? It is. The really only thing I could help you with is if your wife, before your wife came in to have the baby, I, guess, I sent out a letter showing, you know, the estimated charges and all for that. But I don't do anything with the nursery or anything like that. Oh, so we can see all of the estimated charges except for the nursery. That makes sense. Okay. But this this is our billing department. They should be able to help you with that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. It's still day two, October 27th, after a few slices of microwave bacon, because I'm stuck in the office doing this investigation, I am calling that 1-800 number. Hang on. This will be the seventh person I speak to. Good afternoon, business office. This is How can I help you? She doesn't sound like she wants to help me. I called the Four Seasons Hotel, and this is what someone who wants to help me sounds like. Good afternoon, room reservations. This is Mariana. How may I assist you? Notice the difference? Anyways, back to my conversation with person number seven. How can I help you? After the break, we'll hear that conversation with person number seven. And by the way, we're all laughing because we have all been there. And this is not a laugh of like, oh, isn't this funny? Like, oh, isn't this torture laughter? And can you believe this? Well... Of course you can. After the break, we'll continue with the final portion of Alex's investigation, and we'd love to hear your What Happens When stories. Give us a call at 844-627-8255 and record your story there, or leave us your information and we'll help you record it. Once again, that's 844-627-8255. Or write to us on our website at ouramericannetwork.com. This is Our American Stories. What happens when we're digging into healthcare and we're making it fun, folks. But in the end, over this coming year, we're going to break it down because this is eating up our life savings. This is eating up our incomes. And we want to figure out why things cost what they cost and why things are the way they are in our healthcare system. More after these messages. Our American Stories, and we're back with the inaugural episode of our What Happens When series. And we're digging into the healthcare system for you folks. And again, we want to hear your stories. Now, let's continue with Alex's quest. Here he is talking, well, he's talking to the seventh different person at Baptist, trying to get an answer. This person comes to him from Baptist 1 800 number after no one who actually worked at the local hospital could help him. How can I help you? Hi, I had a question about uh, one of my bills. Okay, what is your account number? I'm not finding anything with it. What about your social? 
not signing anything with your social either. All right, can we look it up by the, the patient's name? Yes. All right, so it's Penelope Rose Cortez, C-O-R-T-S. No, sir. Is this Baptist? Yes. Okay, I mean, you should, I hope, I'd hope my info was on file. Okay, let me place you on hold just a second. Okay. Okay, sir? Yes. I'm not pulling it up. You would have to contact the main business office. At least I'll now be speaking with the main business office, the head honchos. They should be able to answer my simple question, right? 5433. All right, thank you. Thank you. At least we left that off on a pleasant note, thanking each other for the mutually enjoyable experience. It's still day two, October 27th, and we should be coming to an end of this investigation. We finally get to talk to the big dogs. Baptist Business Office. The eighth person I'll speak to. Hi, I'm, I have a question about one of my bills. One of them. What's the account number? It is... Did, is that a bill from Baptist? Yes. That's not a Baptist account number. What? I sure hope it is. These thousands I've been paying better be going to the right person. Uh, that's what's listed on the statement I got here. What's the full name of the facility? Uh, Memorial Hospital, North Mississippi. Okay, we don't service that area. You don't? You're the main business office. Shouldn't you be servicing all areas? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was just passing on you, so I'm not sure who I should call next. Um, you did call the hospital that she was treated at? Yep. And what did they say? You know, so I was asking, there's a couple charges on here for the nursery, like $710 for... But did they have your uh, your account? Oh, Were yeah, they... they they just they couldn't answer my questions about this. Oh, and, and, I see, I see. Yeah, and they said, you know, call the 1-800 number, they know, and then the 1-800 oh, number sent me to you. I've never heard of that before. Now, they pulled up your account. They did treat your child. They're supposed to explain the bill. Yeah, they couldn't. Uh, You probably need to call back and ask for a supervisor or a manager. Okay, I'll do that. Okay. All right, thank you. It's still day two. How long day two? October 27th, in case you needed a reminder. I didn't reach the end of the investigation with the main business office as I was hoping, but I do have a new lead. The very first place I spoke with, the hospital. Cash office, can I help you? This is the third person I spoke to. Given I'm speaking to her a second time, should I consider this person number nine? Nah. I, I think we spoke a little bit ago. So It might have been you or someone else transferred me to the 1-800 number. Um, and then they transferred me to the business office. But then the business office said they couldn't help me. Um, so they recommended that I see if there's some kind of supervisor or manager I can talk to. They're all inmates in Memphis today. <laughs> Naturally. By the way, Memphis is the same city where the business office is. The business office, which said the Oxford Hospital is too far away from the service. And yet not too far away for them to drive to and from for a meeting on the same day. It's only an hour and 15 minutes away. It's still day two, October 27th. I've made a lot of phone calls in my investigation, but it's come to an abrupt halt. They're making me call back tomorrow. Except that I can't call back tomorrow. I'm going to my first wedding in New Orleans. 
It's now October 31st, day three of my investigation. I am back from New Orleans, and I call the hospital supervisor. Cash office, can I help you? This is the third person I spoke with. Now for the third time, albeit briefly. Hi, I'm looking for... Oh, one moment. Lower dose treatment. This is... How may I help you? The ninth person I'll speak to. Hi, my name is Alice Cortez. Um, I've spoken with a couple of people on your team. Um, I called the financial office. They sent me to 1-800 number. I completely forgot about the mystery woman at the hospital. This was before the 1-800 number. It seems so long ago and yet only a few days. Uh, they then sent me to the business office and then they recommended that I call the hospital back to speak with a supervisor and they recommended you. Um, so just wanted to see if you can help me with a couple of questions. Okay, how can I help you? She didn't seem too thrilled to help me either. It means I can't stand you being here. And just by the way, you know, I wish Chick-fil-A handled pregnancies. They'd absolutely crush it and top it off with it's my pleasures and actually mean it all over the place. Um, uh, questions about our, our, our bill and some of the charges that we have on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple of nursery charges here. Um, one for $710 and then another one for 710 And I, I just wanted to see how many hours that was billing for. For the, um, okay, for the nurse, the newborn. Yes. It looks like it was two hours. Okay, so two hours for... for, uh, for hour, it looks like it was an hour each. Oh, an hour an hour each. Yes, uh-huh. For $710? Yes, uh-huh. We've got our answer. Investigation over. All right, celebration's over. I continue to speak with person number nine to figure out why it costs $710 to babysit an infant for an hour. Oh, man. I, I think I can usually get babysitters for $15. You know why it was that much? That That's just a normal charge. Okay. I mean, that was for an hour, that, and that's, that's the standard charge. Okay. The, the other thing that I found a little frustrating, when they asked me... Um, whether we want to take our daughter to the nursery, they didn't say that there was a cost with it. So I just said yes, but, um, you know, they didn't tell me I'd be charged, you know, any amount of money, let alone $710. Yeah, well, on the floor, like in the clinical area, they're not, they don't know anything about charges. Okay, but shouldn't I know as a patient what I'm going to be paying before I, you know, make a financial transaction? Well, I mean, like uh, for the baby, uh, for maternity or whatever, normally someone contacts you before... You know, before the baby is born, and um, you know, work with you on the on the payment option. Okay, but no one, you know, before or after the birth told me it would be seven hundred ten dollars to watch our daughter for an hour. Okay, well, um, you know, it's not a matter of watching. I mean, they have things that they do when they have them in, you know, in the nursery. I know, but you understand from my perspective, I would have said, you know, no, I'll watch my daughter for an hour. I don't, you know, I'm not going to. You know, pay seven hundred ten dollars for it. Well, I mean, I don't know what I was included in there. Wow, just wow. I'm over this investigation. Back to you. I'm Alice Cortez. That's the charge. I love that. That's the charge, Alex. Great job. Sorry to do that to you, but actually, what's interesting here is most people don't have the time, and in fact, it was Alex's job, and that's the only reason he had the time to chase this one down. And when we come back, we'll be joined by our chief health editor, Jim Glassman, who's leading our What 
Happens When series to talk about this story and what it means and what we should all take away from it. This is Our American Stories, and this stuff's important, folks. Again, we like having some fun here, and we're always going to have fun here. But in the end, we want to do some learning, and we want to be, in the end, being advocates for you and figuring out what the heck's going on. Because I know that's how we're thinking more and more as Americans as it relates to this important subject, our health, the health of ourselves, the health of our families. Again, this is Our American Stories. Jim Glassman up after the break. American Stories, and we're joined now by our chief health editor, Jim Glassman. And Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's a great pleasure. Hey, Jim, you, we heard what we heard. And uh, before we dig into a more general discussion, uh, talk about the, the idea that folks like Alex who are paying high deductibles are now finding out things about their bills that they might not have found out before because so often the bills come in, someone else is paying for them. And so we really don't scrutinize that bill. Talk about what was happening in Alex's case. And in the end, talk about why that might not be such a bad thing long-term for figuring out how to find out where costs are and how we can bring them down in our healthcare system. Right. So the big problem with the healthcare system is that we removed the people who provide healthcare, like hospitals and doctors, from consumers. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to Walmart or someplace to buy a sweater, uh, you know what the price is. They tell you what the price is. It's right out there. And if you think it's too high, you go somewhere else. Uh, or, you know, there may be five or six possible places to go. With healthcare, the consumer really doesn't get involved in making these decisions. However, because costs have gone up so much, insurers are now requiring in many of their policies, uh, the actual consumers to pay a chunk of it, either through a deductible or through a copay. So now we're finally being faced with what some of these costs are, and we can yell and scream about them. We can try to find out what they are. And in some cases, although not enough, we can go somewhere else. So it's becoming, I think healthcare is becoming more and more, uh, more like a normal consumer item. You know, we don't have insurance to pay for uh, our groceries. We don't have insurance to pay for very many things in life. But insurance generally is covering a vast majority of the of the costs in healthcare, and that's in one way it's great, of course, but in another way it's a big problem. And well, by the way, we're talking about hospitals, and they're not exactly run like hotel chains, Jim. And why do you why do you think that is? I mean, we we had that little analogy there of how the Ritz-Carlton answers, or how any good hotel answers us and answers our claims about a bill or a question. It's almost instantaneous that they're pulling up a folio, they're explaining things, and they always tell you what the peanuts at the snack bar cost, always. 
Right. Uh, so, first of all, the majority of hospitals are nonprofits. Uh, they're not really used to dealing with customers in the way that a very competitive hotel chain or retailer would. So that's one problem. Um, another problem is that, you know, the truth is things have gotten a lot more complicated. Uh, so, you know, they're, 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 they're insurance companies, there's uh, Medicare, there's Medicaid. It's not necessarily all that easy for them, to tell you the truth. And I would say the third issue, which is a, which is a big one, is a lack of competition. So I'm not completely familiar with Oxford, Mississippi, but when I looked it up online, looked up, you know, how many hospitals there are in Oxford or northern Mississippi, I mean, there are very, very few. I mean, yep. Baptist really dominates northern Mississippi. So, so it's not a case where because you, know, you had a bad experience there or a neighbor has had a bad experience, you can go somewhere else, you know, as you would with a restaurant. So I think it's really a combination of those things that makes it so difficult to, to deal with hospitals. And then I would also say that remarkably enough, uh, the healthcare industry has been very slow to pick up on technology. And so they're just doing it now. A lot of people are not familiar with the technology or they're just learning the technology. So that's another problem. And let's talk about price and costs. We, we, don't, we rarely know the price of anything. We find out the costs later. Let's talk about the average cost of a pregnancy in the United States. And, Jim, compare it to other countries. Sure. Well, the, the International Federation of Health Plans uh, publishes every year some sample costs for the United States and for other countries. And it's, it's I mean, it, most people don't have no idea what it costs because the insurance company is paying for most of it or almost all of it. You know, a, an amazing statistic is that Americans pay out-of-pocket only $3 for every $100 in hospital costs that they incur. Now, that's going to start rising. There's no doubt about it. And as Alex said, you know, he's, he's got a high-deductible policy. But a lot of people just don't know what it costs. So the average cost for a normal delivery in a hospital, including the doctor, but not including what happens before or what happens after the delivery is $10,808 in the United States. So almost $11,000. Compare that to Australia, where it's a little over $5,000. Spain, it's less than $2,000. Switzerland, which is a rich country, it's $7,800. So, you know, we're on top, as we usually are with all these hospital costs. But that's a lot, $11,000 in a C-section is $16,000 in the United States and 10000 in Switzerland. So these are big numbers, uh, $78,000 for a heart bypass in the United States. And that's the average cost. Uh, you know, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of hospitals are a lot more than that. And, and Jim, you, you said earlier that 3% of the costs are paid out of pocket, but somebody's paying. So when these prices go up, we all pay with higher costs of insurance because we're all absolutely. paying for each other. Nothing's yeah, so, free. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so when we say out of pocket, that doesn't include what you're paying for your insurance. Right. Uh, it means, you know, what you're paying specifically for that procedure um, out of your pocket or with your credit card. So, yeah, sure, we're all paying for it. But because it's done through insurance, we don't see that particular or we rarely even look at 
the cost for that particular procedure. And Jim, isn't it uh, crazy? And, and that's, and that's isn't, a it, problem. isn't it crazy that the thing that's most important in our lives, I mean, we have all this price pressure on flat screen TVs, on potato chips. I was going down a potato chip aisle the other day. I went, oh my goodness, look at the prices, the varieties. There's like a thousand different flavors. And there is the price. And even LASIK surgery, Jim, which is a, an important healthcare procedure. We have choices. We have prices. And what's happened with the prices in LASIK surgery over the last 15 or 20 years? Right. So they, they've declined. And so we're, where we have real operating consumer markets, prices are under control. They either decline or they're, they're up a little bit. But where we don't have real consumer markets, and that's true in most of healthcare, uh, we're seeing prices go up by an average of about 4 or 5% a year. And this is in an environment where inflation is, you know, maybe 2% a year. So prices are are rising, and there are many reasons for it. I mean, you know, we should also understand that hospitals are delivering better services than they used to. Uh, Drug companies are delivering better drugs than they used to. So we're not necessarily comparing apples and oranges, but there's no doubt that prices are going up. And it's because part of it is because these are not normal competitive consumer markets. And Jim, what part of the dollar, the aggregate dollar is spent on hospitals, on the back end, pharmaceutical industry, uh, doctors, where is that dollar spent? Could you break that down for us? Yeah. And so that's a great question because I think people don't understand that, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about high drug prices and certainly specialty drugs are expensive, but it's, it's a shock for most people to learn that, of the total dollar, healthcare dollar, only 10 cents is spent on pharmaceuticals. About 32 cents is spent on hospitals. And about 20 cents is spent on physicians, uh, professional services, and you know what's called outpatient. So the biggest chunk is hospitals by far. The second is outpatient. And then, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of smaller costs, you know, dental costs and that sort of thing. But it's, and it's a, and the total is a really big number. Okay. So we now spend almost one fifth, you know, one, one, one out of every $5 that the United States produces is spent on healthcare. So it's like 19% of our GDP goes to healthcare. And, you know, it's hard to say whether that's i mean that it, there's no doubt there's no doubt that that is a very high number compared to other countries there's no rich country no developed country that spends more than 11.5% of their gdp on healthcare and we spend more than 18% so it's a lot more now you know we get a lot for that but we still don't get enough in my opinion uh for example we still have a very uh, a lower life expectancy than most uh, rich countries. Um, we are, in many ways, uh, a less healthy country than most rich countries. Now, that's partly because of our behaviors. It's partly because of obesity, smoking, lack of exercise. Yep. But we're not delivering health care in an efficient way, no doubt about it. And by the way, in that breakdown, Jim, where it was 10 cents on the drugs, 32 cents on the hospitals, and 20 cents on the dollar on physicians, only one of those does the price go down over time. 
and that would be the drugs because of the generic uh, capability after a patent uh, expires on a drug. This is Lee Habib. I've been speaking with Jim Glassman, our health editor here on Our American Stories. What happens when? Tune in for the next one. We're going to be setting Alex out there again and hopefully a little less painful for him. This is Our American Stories, and thanks as always, Jim, for your work. More after these messages. 